Welcome to the Beers and Bible Podcast, a podcast that explores God's Word while enjoying the fruits of God's creation. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore, on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcast, and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. Billy Currington summed it up well when he said, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. So let us join our hosts, Michael and Anthony, for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 143. <laughs> if you could only see what I just saw in the uh, video monitor, you would be laughing too. Sorry about that. I was that. wondering. I was wondering how long it was going to take you to notice. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it's one forty-three. We're happy to have another week to drink some beer. Uh, we're going to talk about the Bible. Um, I'm Anthony, and I'm Michael. And let's let's do this, man. How's your week been? It's been good, man. We are. Super crazy at work, super busy. Um, things at home are a little nuts too. Uh, and today's the first day of fall, so do the seasons you remember are allegedly changing. It was like of September. Sorry, it was like ninety-five degrees, or it felt like ninety-five degrees up here this week. So I'm not sure where fall is, but it needs to hurry up. <laughs> we we yeah. had uh, so let's see here. This is the south, so we share basically the same season. So last week it was cool, so that was false fall. Um, and now we're in like third summer, yeah, fool's Mm -hmm. fall. So now we're in like third summer for another two weeks, and then we get actual fall for like three weeks, and then it becomes uh barren wasteland winter. See, the thing that kills me is all the leaves are falling off, so now you either have to rake them up in 90 degree weather, (laughs) or that's terrible, (laughs) your yard just looks like no one lives there at your house. See, you could take the approach that we've done and just not have any trees. Um, I've I've hinted a couple of times, like <laughs> I'm going to look up how to make how to a tree die, trees. how to make a tree die, and my wife doesn't like that. So anyway, <laughs> let's get into our beer review, beer review for the week because let's if we don't, do we're going to start saying stuff that we can't take back. Um, why don't you, why don't you go this into is- detail about yours because I want really bad to find it. Just, just because for reasons, for reasons, for reasons. Okay, so I number one, it's not on their website. Um, so I'm going to untapped for the description tonight. Uh, number two, I've done one of these before. So this is Red Clay Brewing from Opelika, Alabama. Um, if you're a Auburn Tiger, or I don't know who would want to be an Auburn Tiger, but whatever. Um, they're near you, on the plains of Alabama, and this is. Probably, this might be the coolest named beer I think we may have had. We've had some really cool names, though. It may mm-hmm. not be. But this is the Southern Bumpkin Sweet Potato Brown Ale. Mm. I mean... I'm in I, on all of those things. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like I should say it with a little bit of draw. Like, it's the Southern Bumpkin Sweet Potato Brown Ale. Like, I feel like... I don't know, man. <laughs> should I channel my inner Ricky Bobby or something right here? Um... The description that I found on Untapped says this brown ale is straight from the south, obviously. We load our mash with sweet potatoes to give this beer a sweet, earthy characteristic that you've never had before. 
Hmm. I will honestly say that's probably true. <laughs> Never had sweet potato in beer, probably ever. No, I mean, like, I've had beer with my sweet potatoes for dinner, but never, like, you know, at the same time. Like, I'm just taking a swig and taking a bite and taking a swig and never done that. So, um, I don't know. It's it, It's got a decent rating. It comes in at 7.8 uh, ABV. They don't list any IBUs on Untapped. Mm. And um, it looks like scrolling through the Untapped ratings, it looks like people either kind of, like, love it or hate it. So... There's not a whole lot of middle ground on this one. So I feel like I'm either going to love it or hate it. One of the two. Well, there you go. So I've, I've learned that most things that are reviewed online are either loved or hated. Yeah. People, people exaggerate everything online. Yeah. And like the people who don't say who won't, who, who would vote like in the middle of the road aren't going to waste their time to go say anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like if you had a five-star experience or a one-star experience, you're going to tell somebody about it. Yes. So, um, what do you have? So tonight, I guess since it is the first day of fall, I don't know, sweet potato, your sweet potato thing felt fall-ish. It does. Folly. Um, so I picked from my stash the most fall-like thing I had, um, which is the Harvest Apple. Um dry cider from urban tree hard cider company in atlanta um this comes in at i saw it a second ago five percent abv so it's a little lighter mm-hmm. and it's actually on their website urban um say so, that five times fast yeah I'm not gonna try <laughs> so the harvest apple is a modern full-bodied cider that is medium dry complex and balanced with fresh apple aromas um so uh, and it's won a bunch of medals in case you're curious uh it is curious but basically that sounds like the marietta version of of uh angry orchard (laughs) well i'm about to find out um they have other things um they have a sweet heat they have a cherry cider um they haven't like an Atlanta United esque cider thingy. They got orange IPA. They've got some different stuff. So it's not like they just make apple ciders, but yeah. But I'm a fan of apple ciders, so I'm probably gonna like this a lot. This is true. That you are, that you are. I am too. I kind of like apple ciders too. Well. Let's drink them. Let's do it. I, I'm excited. I'm ready. Here we go. Three. Two, one, crack. Oh, oh boy. There's a part of me that wants this to taste like, um, if you, you know, at Thanksgiving you have sweet potato souffle, or I guess some people call it sweet potato casserole. Yeah. I kind of want it to taste like that. Is what I want this thing to taste like. But since so- this is a brown ale... It's actually that's very dark. It is. I don't and know it's... if it's sacrilege, but this hard cider is actually in my angry orchard cup. Ooh, man. I don't I don't know who's gonna get more mad about that, the cider company or angry orchard. Yeah, they don't care. Yeah. Um <laughs> I'm kind of hoping that your beer take have you ever had the sweet potato pies from Bojangles? Uh no, I have not. Those things are low-key really good. I have had Bowberry biscuits from Bojangles, though. 
those are high key really good. <laughs> yeah, those, those are like the those are the A track. I'm talking about the B track, sweet potato pie. <laughs> I don't even know if Bojangles still has them. That's how long ago it's been since I had them. We just got a Bojangles like a year and a half ago down here, so I'm gonna have to go mm-hmm. right over to Bojangles and see if do they it. have one now. Because now I'm curious. I may do it on the way to work tomorrow. Like that's there how curious go. I am. Anyway, <laughs> let's get to drinking. Let's I feel do like it. I feel like tonight's gonna be a night where we have to like rain ourselves in yeah come back to the <laughs> get back on track several times but we, we've had medium at like good decent episodes the last few weeks we're going off the rails tonight so, be like so, three and the half smel- hours. so the smell on mine smells very much like angry orchard okay this one like smells very, like a regular brown ale very apple juicy very apple juicy apple which juice i like is good so all right well bottoms up bottoms up let's enjoy do your bumpkin bumpkin <laughs> Remember, yours is like seven and a half percent or whatever. So just be don't careful. Don't chug it. <laughs> don't. I saw you go back for a second sip, and I was like, slow down. Well, it's I, so I got the initial taste, and mm-hmm. I was like, let me just see what it, you know, second go around tastes like. Um, yeah, this was not that good. <laughs> oh, that's sad. It is like I mean, it's not bad. It tastes like a sweet brown ale. Is what mm-hmm. it tastes like. Um, I mean, it's 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 okay. It's I'm not going to drink a bunch of these at one time, and I honestly don't know what I would like, what I would pair this with to drink it. It would just, mm-hmm. I mean, it would just kind of like have to be there, and I would have and drink it. And the texture is good. Um, the flavor, the flavor, it's just a flavor. I don't know. Maybe it's just the sweet potatoes and beer mixed together just doesn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, it doesn't have any kind of sweetness to it. Like I, okay. So when I said I wanted it to taste like sweet potato casserole or sweet potato pie or, you know, whatever you make it Thanksgiving with the sweet potatoes, brown sugar, butter, pecans, more brown sugar, mushroom or not mushrooms, uh, (laughs) marshmallows telling you, man, we are going off the rails tonight. Uh, marshmallows, Uh, not mushrooms. Um, only a lunatic would put, uh, mushrooms in their sweet potato pie or sweet potato souffle but that's that's the flavor that i wanted i wanted mm-hmm. a sweet um sugar like uh, sugary beer like that's what i wanted yeah and maybe i had false expectations i don't know um I, to me it doesn't even really taste like just plain old sweet potatoes of course i don't really eat just plain sweet potatoes a whole lot um usually i dou- douse them up with brown sugar and butter so um, and mushrooms, apparently, and, and not mushrooms. <laughs> but and I don't know. It's just kind of it's kind of bland. Um, it's just kind of regular beery tasting. Mm-hmm. Um, it does have a little bit of that. You know, it's I guess it's got a little bit of a sweeter flavor than a typical brown ale would have. It's not quite as bitter, I guess, is a way to say that. But it's just, I mean, to me, it's just, it's just middle of the road so it's a three luther beer for me That's I'm, fair. I'm a i'm a little disappointed because i was i had high hopes for this thing <laughs> but well eh, it is what that's, it is that's cider. unfortunate it is but i'll live with it the cider is really good um it is the apple flavor is not as strong as the angry orchard mm-hmm. that we had you know now it's been several weeks um the winner still, of the big box, the beer winner bash. of the big box <laughs> bash. Yeah. Um, so, but the apple flavor is not as good, but it's, 
still got like that apple crispness. Mm-hmm. It's still got that very strong apple flavor. It's still very light. Um, I I mean, I think you this would be a suitable substitute for Angry Orchard or any apple cider, hard apple mm-hmm. cider, really. Um, I think Angry Orchard's flavor is a little bit better, though. So I'm going to rank the Harvest Apple at a four and a half out of five Luthers. Okay. Well, that's not bad. That's pretty good. But I'm def I'm definitely going to be uh, probably going back to get that one because that's pretty good. Nice. And it's a and it's a base. They're based in Atlanta, so they're close. Close ish. Close. Close enough. <laughs> so, uh, so. Well, I didn't have I didn't have a lot to divert uh, divulge on mine because yours just, yours was kind of basic. Yeah, well, it was it was good basic. Yeah, it was, and it was just I knew what I was getting into, and I'm happy I got into it. So, um, yeah, there you have it, our beer review for the week: the Southern Munkin Sweet Potato Brown Ale, getting three Luthers from Anthony, a shoulder shrug on three Luthers there, <laughs> and then the Harvest Apple Hard Cider, getting. Four and a half Luthers from me. And there's our beer review for the week. Yes. So we're going to take a break. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, man. I'm really excited about the book of Job. I love the book of Job. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. And we're going to get into that as soon as we get back from this here break. Welcome back to episode number 143, and we are going to be jumping in and discussing the book of Job tonight. Um, Job's a pretty well-known book, but Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it could be misunderstood, and um, I don't know. That's that's what I think about the book of Job. Um, Kanye West thought the book of Job was a job. I mean... That's oh, Kanye. That, that rap song. <laughs> I forget which one, but it's in one. It's of them. okay. So um just some uh let's some let's just jump right jump right in. There's no no need to uh delay what's gonna happen here. <laughs> this is gonna be a long episode. We were just talking about it. Um yes, it is. Last few weeks have been a little shorter, and tonight we're not gonna be able to make that happen. So apologies, and we ask for forgiveness on the front end. <laughs> um so tonight let's just uh some data to uh I get oriented as we read through uh, the book of Job. Um, So Job is a historical narrative about the issue of righteous suffering and the justice of God. Mm -hmm. Um, It speaks a lot to um, this issue that I still think is rampant through our churches today, but it's where do we find wisdom? Mm-hmm. Um, Proverbs nine ten says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Um, so, just keep that in mind as we go through this tonight. Um, we know that the story takes place sometime um, between 
the events of Noah and Joseph, mm-hmm. which is most of Genesis. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's some themes from the book that we that we that we get here. Um, really, four themes we have, and uh, the emphasis on the grounding of wisdom being found in God. Um, Anthony, we've talked about this a lot. How the finite cannot understand the infinite. Yep. How man can't understand God, can't mm-hmm. explain God, can't explain His ways. Um, Doesn't mean we shouldn't try, but ultimately no. we can't. No, we can't. Yeah. Um, this is a. This is a, one that is. I think we we will probably sit on at some point in the next mm-hmm. however long we're together here, but God is not obligated to answer fallen man. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we are. We ask God for an answer and expect him to answer. Yeah. And a lot of times God is sitting on the throne saying, I don't have to answer that. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I've heard this this reasoning and, and this rationing before where, you know, if we can't, if God can't evidence or be justified according to human logic. Mm hmm then whatever that person is claiming about God can't be right, basically. Right. And But that completely ignores the fact, and you may have been just about to say this, so sorry if I'm jumping ahead. No, do it. But, but that completely ignores the fact that God is the inventor of human logic. Yes. And, and so, human reasoning. Yeah. And so, like the, you, like you've said a thousand times, a creator cannot be controlled or dictated by the created that's right so yeah creation cannot dictate to the creator it, it just it right that, it, that can't happen you know the the one that i like to use or the one that i've heard people use is the watchmaker theory a watch can't dictate to a watchmaker that it made it wrong or it messed up in what it made or you know, the watch just has to say, I am a watch. This is what I am. Mm-hmm. And and that's all. And and it can, you know, it glorifies the, the watchmaker in that, in doing right. what it was designed to do. The funny thing is, even if the watchmaker makes a broken watch that doesn't function properly, it still is made by the watchmaker. The mm-hmm. watch still owes its creation to the watchmaker, even yeah. in a dysfunctional state. Yeah. And so you we don't want to think about that because it's hard for us to think about that because the book of Job is going to show us that it's hard for us to think about that. Job struggles with that. And we're I, I'm going to save some of that for later, but just keep that churning, keep that thought churning in your mind that the finite will never, cannot ever explain fully. We can attempt to, but we can't explain fully mm-hmm. the infinite. Yeah. So it's that it's that fully part that I think trips a lot of people up. Yeah. Because there are there is a lot of things in our faith that we just have to believe mm-hmm. without explanation. Yeah. Or and without that's, proof or evidence. Yeah. And that's really hard, especially in our mm-hmm. our world today, where it's yeah. everything is driven by show me or prove it to me or whatever yeah. the case may be. Which, so. you know, it, for me, it, it kind of hits a little bit home to me. And th- this may be part of the reason that I really like the book of Job, because 
what that does is it undergirds a a philosophy or a I guess an approach to apologetics that I personally like and and mm-hmm. I kind of somewhat hold to it. You know, I don't hold to it with a close hand like it's the only method, but but I have a lot of sympathies toward presuppositional apologetics because what presuppositional apologetics does is it presupposes God. God is the presupposition that underlies everything. And if you don't start with God specifically, mm-hmm. the triune God of the Bible, then then your your foundation, your beginning point, your presupposition is wrong. And so it, it starts from that point. And and the the I guess the misnomer that presuppositional apologetics gets is that it attacks every other worldview. And to my knowledge, I've never read a presuppositionalist that attacks another worldview. What they will say is you're wrong. And I'm starting from this point of view. Right. And I believe this point of view is right. And that's not attacking. You know, that's that's a that's a modern cultural phenomenon. This whole idea of like saying that somebody is wrong is attacking them. Um, And and so it's it's, you know, I can call you wrong, but I still can love you and and support you. And 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 so. Um, but what we're going to see all the way through the book of Job is this undergirding concept that God is still there. You know, think back to the book of Esther that we just talked about. God's never even mentioned in the book of Esther, but the author knew mm-hmm. that his readers would presuppose God into all of that story. Right. They would read it with a certain expectation undergirding it. That's what presuppositional apologetics does, is it says, yeah. I'm going to start with the undergirding idea of the triune God of the Bible. Yeah. So anyway, what's our fourth one? Yeah. So the, the last theme here is that by the end, we will see a path to true wisdom that is grounded in the fear of God. Um, not the uh, like fearful yeah. of God, but like the reverent fear that um, we've discussed before. Like the, it's the fear that when your mom yells your name across the mm-hmm. street, all three of your names, that kind yeah. of fear. It's like, oh, yeah. I, I got to go. <laughs> yeah, I got to go because of what's waiting for me at the other side. But that's, that's still right. not I still don't think that's an afraid fear. No. I think that's a risk. Like, res, is respect it's, the right word? Yeah, it's a respectful Rev, fear. Respectful, reverent, reverent fear. Um, yep. So there you go. Now that we've oriented ourselves, let's talk about some advice. How are we supposed to read the book of Job? This is a it's a really interesting book because it is a narrative, um, but it also falls into the wisdom literature section of mm-hmm. of uh, the Hebrew Bible specifically. Um, and so it's it's one of those books that that can offer a lot of different insights because of the different ways that you can think about it. Um, and so you're going to have like from the beginning, you're going to have these speeches and the storyline that set up a way that we can focus on really two main points throughout the book. Um, and that's our creaturely dependence and our creaturely wisdom. What are we as creatures, as the created, what are we dependent on? And then where is our wisdom coming from? Mm -hmm. What undergirds our wisdom? And and that's going to, continue to build as you see this uh, i mean uh, honestly this book to me plays out very similar to like a shakespeare poem 
where you kind of learn more and more about the characters and what they're doing. And they all serve like a very specific purpose. Um, and, and there are, so there are some scholars that would say that the book of Job is not necessarily an actual historical, the person never lived, but it is mm-hmm. a, it's, it's, it, you know, think of it like, it's like a Romeo and Juliet where each of the characters represent maybe a, um, a character type or a personality or a certain thing. And, and then you see that woven all the way through. Eh, I mean, I, I get that, but I think that's, I think that puts too much philosophy into the book. I think that this is a, a real person, uh, a historical person with a, with a historical family, because it talks about, he had sheep and he had children and he had land and he had all of these things. Uh, and he lost all of those things and all those things are taken away. And then in the end, they gets all those things back. But you know, there, it, it's not like, there's just this small little two or three. It's not like this is a one town thing. Like this is right. This is a big story. Yeah. Um, And so those two things are going to help set up the main question throughout the book, which is a focus on the problem of evil, uh, also known as theodicy. Um, Theodicy helps us understand and it helps us reconcile uh, why undeserved suffering happens. What, you know, how are we supposed to, to, know about this how are we supposed to understand it and it really helps us reconcile especially when it comes to the existence of a just and, and almighty god um you know that there's the oh what's it i can't even remember i just forgot it um it's a if god is all loving then how can evil have you know it's it's basically the conundrum of the problem of evil if the if god is all loving and all powerful then why is there evil in the world mm-hmm and this book helps us understand why there's evil in the world. And, and the reality is there's evil in the world because of Adam. It, 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 you know, what God created in the beginning was perfect. Adam screwed it all up. Yeah. And so now that there's evil in the world, we have to reconcile why God allows some evil and doesn't allow evil. Why do hurricanes happen? Why do earthquakes happen? Why does natural evil happen? Why does cancer happen? Um, you know, why do people murder people? All of this is rooted in a sinful nature of man. And, and that's what we're going to see throughout the book of Job. So we've got Job. He's got three friends. His three friends really reconcile or they not, not really reconcile. They, exemplify or example the role of of conventional wisdom what you would expect people to say yeah okay so you gotta you gotta keep that in mind as you're reading through because this we're gonna you know there's gonna be series of speeches and all this kind of stuff and then this other guy comes in kind of late to the party uh and his name is elihu um and he's this young guy He's cocky. He's arrogant. You know, he's the guy that you love to hate, you know, because he always says stuff and you're like, yeah, I don't like that guy. You know, you're he, he, he's an interesting character, but but he's used as a very specific um, counterpoint in the stories. OK, um, the I guess the big irony is he ends up being right, even though he's this kind of young, arrogant guy. He ends up being the guy who's actually right uh, about the perspective that man should be taken uh, with God. And so mm-hmm. because of this, because of the friends and Elihu, we have this struggle um, where Job is, is sitting here defending himself, especially to his friends. He's like, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. 
I haven't done anything to cause this. There's this idea of cause and effect. You know, if you do good things, you get blessings. Uh, rightfully so. I mean, think about what we've learned all the way through the the Pentateuch and the and the Deuteronomic cycle. There's blessings for obeying God. There's curses for not obeying God. Job is described in the very beginning as being a guy who is blameless before God. So, I mean, where is, why is this cause and effect happening? Mm-hmm. Um, and Job believes that he is in the right and he's defending himself. You know, think back all the way to our study on lamentations and lament, um, where it's okay to pour out your complaints to God. You know, we're going to see that exemplified in, in Job. Yeah. Um, but there's this one quote, and I love this quote. Um, and and it, it was in this section talking about setting it up. And so I think this is a great place to kind of just get this quote and then let's walk through the book of Job. Okay. And it says this right here it says, The brilliance of this book lies in the fact that although it looks as though it were a theodicy, that is, humans putting God on trial, insisting for explanations for his actions. Uh, it turns out, in fact, to be a theology, and a theology is God putting humans on trial as to whether they will trust him not only when they receive no immediate benefits, but also when he does not give them the explanations they demand, and thus as to whether they will live within the bounds of creaturely wisdom. Um, and And I think that that really just kind of puts Job in a really good nutshell mm-hmm. as we get ready to talk about uh, walking through the book of Job, because we're going to see this unpack before our eyes, this idea of there's right, there's wrong, there's rewards for doing right, there's punishment for doing wrong, and then God just monkey wrenches the whole thing. So keep that in the back of your mind. Yep, Everything that we've just talked about in the back of your mind and let's walk through the book of Job. So take us through the the let's let's do it. So the first couple of chapters of Job are probably the more well-known parts of Job, I would say. Yep. Where you get the whole backstory of what has happened to Job. Mm-hmm. Um now this isn't the whole point of the book, but it more or less sets the foundation for what's going to follow and where everyone's coming from the, their point of reference as we get into the later chapters of the book. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is where we see the conversation between God and Satan. We see um, what happens to Job's sons and daughters and family and servants and his crops and his animals and his houses. Like we see what happens to Job and ultimately where he ends up getting to mm-hmm. um, before this, before his lament in chapter three. Um, backing up just one second. I skipped mm-hmm. a, I skipped a part. Sorry. You good? Um. So the other thing in the first two chapters is that we we need to follow this narrative very closely because mm-hmm. it's going to set the stage for the speeches. Yeah. Um. And again, the speeches are the majority of the book, and I don't think, I don't think we get that much. Yeah. You know, like a lot of we spend a lot of time in chapters one and two, and we spend a lot of time in chapter three. And then when the friends show up, it's like, oh, no one wants to talk about that. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if that's just me. I don't know if that's a legitimate well, you thing know, I've, what, I've experienced or not. I don't know. What's funny is, is I honestly, so I, I think that Job is a fantastic book for a model of discipleship. Mm. 
because even though Job and his friends may disagree throughout the book, there's no real like Job. I mean, at one point, Job does refer to them as his enemies. And and it's I, I, I kind of I want to read that as a it's like you're my enemies because you're just not telling me the right things. You know, right. you're not giving me solid friend advice. So it's kind of it's like you're my enemies. But this whole thing of this back and forth and the cycles of speeches and them accusing Job and Job saying, no, you're wrong. This, this and this. And like, that is really what actual authentic discipleship is. Right. It's being open and honest and being able to tell people the really hard stuff and know that at the end of the day, that person still loves you and still cares for you and would do anything for you. Yeah. You know, if you disagree, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know, so that's a that's a little sidebar and caveat uh on on the whole like introduction and and then lament. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um so let's get into the these these speech cycles. The very first one, uh the first cycle of speeches goes from chapter four to chapter fourteen. Um and what we're not gonna do, we're not gonna dive into all the details of each one of these speeches because we would be here forever if we did that. Um, but just, we're going to bring out some of the highlights here. So in this, this first kind of round of speeches, uh, notice that the friends, they keep on insisting that Job has done something wrong. Job has, and, and I mean, honestly, if think about, think about it this way, if you were Job's friends and you know, you saw everything that happened to Job and you knew what the Torah taught and you knew Mm -hmm. all of these things. Wouldn't I mean, I don't think that I would come to any different conclusion than his friends are coming to. It's not like they're making these outlandish arguments. Right. All they all. Yeah. All they see is the results of what's going on and what has happened. What's (laughs) happened on the outside of Job. They are not aware of the conversation God and Satan had. So, of course, they're going to say. Well, obviously, Job, you done messed up somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I mean, it's that like, that would be my first reaction is to say, man, it's, it seems like this is the case. Tell me why I'm wrong, you know? And and Mm -hmm. I I mean, maybe that's the, uh, the attitude that his friends had. Maybe it wasn't, I don't know. It doesn't really give us that, that in the text, but, um, you have this idea that, that they're pointing out that, that something is wrong. Job has done something wrong and Job is going to continue to defend himself. And again, Put yourself in Job's shoes. If you know you haven't done something wrong, then it's okay to defend yourself and say, no, man, I have not. Examine my life. Look at my life. Tell me. If you're saying I've done something wrong, tell me what it is. Um, You know, because that's that's what real conversation and real discipleship does is it goes back and forth and says, you know, hey man, it looks like you've done something wrong. All right, cool. If I've done something wrong, tell me what it is. I can't see it. Um, you know, so that first cycle of speeches sets us sets us up there. So take us through the second yeah. round of speeches. So we get into the second round of speeches um, through the next few chapters, and this discussion shifts, um, and we see Job, you know, saying that the wicked don't always suffer. And that is that's a that's a true statement. That's a fair statement. I think this is maybe something like I think this is Job holding on for hope for something yeah. to get better in his life. Um, I, I don't know if that's for sure the case, but, you know, saying that, like, 
the wicked prosper. So maybe since he's righteous, he's thinking, or he is described as righteous, he's thinking, well, at some point the suffering is going to end. Yeah. Which is a good, I mean, it's a good thought. You know, it's, it is a good thought because we know that everything in this life is temporary. And And that, that was kind of where I was going with that too. It's like, yes, the suffering will end eventually. It just may not end in the way you think it. Exactly. Yeah. And so many times we think that, you know, something bad happens, whatever it is. Okay. Um, your grandmother gets cancer, you know, let's pick something awful. Um, your grandmother gets cancer. And so you pray and pray and pray for your grandmother to be healed from cancer. Mm -hmm. And then six months later, your grandmother dies and you're like, God, why didn't you hear my prayer? Maybe you should just take the perspective that yes, God did hear your prayer. She's not hurting anymore. She has been healed. If your grandmother was a believer in Jesus Christ, guess what? Mm-hmm. She's seen the ultimate healing. Yeah. You know, but again, it goes back to our finite understanding of things. We don't see things from God's perspective. And so a lot of times we don't understand what healing, we only think in healing in terms of yeah. physical healing. We don't think of it as a spiritual act that happens when somebody is you know, united for all eternity with their Savior. That is the most ultimate healing that anybody could ever desire. That's so, almost it's almost like that's the healing we should be praying for. Exactly. And then be like not mad when if they make it through or whatever, but like almost like man, you could have had Yeah. Something I don't know. If you that's I a mean, really twist that's a really twisted way to think about it. Oh though. man, it's it's and that's the thing is it goes against all of humankind's conventional wisdom. Yeah. And so many times the things of God do that. They they go against what our inclination is to believe. <laughs> like like in that in that example you just said, like, could you imagine praying for your grandmother to just go ahead and die? Yeah, it, that's terrible. That's, <laughs> you don't want to pray for that. No, you don't, but it's like but if they if she knows Jesus, yeah, I, yeah, I, man, that is well. I mean, how much would it change our twisted. prayer life? How much would it change our prayer life if instead of just saying, "God, I want you to heal my grandmother and take away the cancer and and heal her body and restore her to full health," and you know, you hear prayers like that and you're thinking to yourself, "That's not a bad prayer," and it's not. It's not no. wrong to ask for those things, but. If your goal in life is to only push for the physical, then you have lost grasp on the spiritual. Yeah. And so maybe our prayer lives should change and say, God, I don't know what you're trying to teach me through this struggle. I don't know why my grandmother has cancer. Uh, I don't know why she's suffering the way she is. God, would you do something to heal her body? Whether it's physical healing, whether it's spiritual healing, I don't know what it is, but I'm asking you to do something. Work in a mighty way. Do, you know, because I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of people who get some kind of illness or, or end up in the hospital and end up sharing the Christ, sharing Christ with their doctors and their nurses and their, you know, and through something awful, like a sickness or a disease, you have six, seven, 10, 
20, 50, 100 people come to Christ. You don't know how many people. You don't know how many people that doctor is going to encounter after he deals with you mm-hmm. as a patient. You don't yeah. know how many people that nurse is going to go, you know. And and so I've heard these stories over and over and talking to people, and I I can't help but think that so many times we we just have the wrong perspective because we're so inwardly focused. We're yeah. so focused on what God can do for me. And we say things like God's not your magic genie in a bottle, but then our actions don't line up with that statement. We yeah. don't live consistent to our statements. Yeah. So yeah, we have a very selfish outlook. We have a very self and like you're you're totally right. When we pray for things like healing, like we're praying we are praying for physical healing mm-hmm. now so we can enjoy more time with the person that we love. It's and again, and then that's we, not and then wrong. That's <laughs> not it's not wrong to pray those prayers. But then if God chooses to call that person home, we cannot get mad at God. Yeah. For not answering our prayers because he sort of did. Yes. It's exactly what he did. So uh <laughs> we're idiots. We're so stupid. Gosh, it is like it's breaking my brain right now to think like. Which prayer is better to pray? The prayer for the physical healing or the like the physical removal or the gosh, how do I even word this? Because it's both physical like, do I pray for the person to live longer or to die sooner? <laughs> if they know Jesus, like what's the right what's you know what's the prayer? Like, what is it? You know, it's funny because in the New Testament, Jesus says, Pray this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will be done yep. on earth as it is in heaven. And maybe if we just focused on praying God's will be done, we can ask for certain things. God, it would be fantastic if you would do this. It would also be fantastic if you did this. And those are two polar opposite things. But God, I'm going to have confidence and I'm going to have trust that you are in control. Yeah. And I'm going to say, your will be done and help me to understand what that is so that I can proclaim you to the, to the nations. Yeah. You know, it is a very, very different mindset from what the last 75 years of modern church has taught us because modern church has taught us whether they want to admit it or not. Modern churches have taught us that God is our genie in a bottle. And you just need to pray for things. And if you don't yeah. get them, you're not praying hard enough. So you need to pray harder. Or maybe you're not tithing enough. Or maybe you're not going to church enough. You know, how are how are our churches and our church staffs and our pastors becoming like our three friends that are saying, there has to be something wrong with what you're doing? You know? Sorry, that was a... <laughs> Ooh, that dog on hunt. Okay. So second round of speeches, glimpse of hope. <laughs> The third round, we get into the third round of the next uh, in chapters 22 through 26. Um, we have a lot of the same arguments here that we've already heard. Um, and it seems pretty clear that Job's friends don't have anything else <laughs> to bring to the table. They're just going to continue to point out that Job is obviously doing something um, or has obviously done something. Who was it? If it, if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. That doesn't apply in this situation. <laughs> yeah, here you have more like um, define um, stupidity, doing the no, same thing, expecting no, different not results. Stupid, no, what's the word? Not stupidity. 
Insanity. Insanity. That's there. it. There we go. <laughs> Something. So, and then we get into chapter 27. Um, I'm assuming we can move on because there wasn't much else sure, to die. Yeah, okay, I mean, okay. those are what they are. Yep. So chapter 27, uh, we get Job's discourse. He is still arguing his innocence. Um, and and now he's turning the tables on his friends, in quotes, Quote, um, yep. <laughs> who have now become his enemies in the narrative of the book. Like yeah. you talked about earlier where he calls them his enemies. Yep. yep. You know, it's I'm, I'm just going because you, you said this on, on the third third round of speeches, you know, they they get shorter and you can see it if you look at them in large chunks. So the first round is 10 chapters long. Mm-hmm. The second round is like six or seven chapters long. The third round is like four chapters. So, you know, they're just saying the same thing over and over because Job's got to be like, you guys are idiots. Y'all already said that. <laughs> Seriously, right. you gonna say it again. You know, and that leads up to Joe being like, I'm innocent. Everything that you've said is baseless. Everything that you can bring against me is not true. You don't have an argument is really what what uh, Job's discourse says. And 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 that's where he he kind of insinuates or implies, man, it's it's almost like y'all are my enemies because you're just saying the same thing over and over right. and over again. Yeah, you would think. I, I I guess Job was hoping that his three friends would be in his corner. Yeah. That's usually what we expect of our friends to be fair. Typically, yes. <laughs> you usually don't want your friends to be like standing behind you throwing rocks at you, trying to no. say that yeah, you deserve all this terrible stuff that's happened to you. <laughs> but unfortunately, a lot of us have had friends that have done that. Yes, we have. And so, you all know that one friend yep. who's been there and done that. Yep. So, well, we get through Job's discourse, and then chapter 28 really starts to focus on the idea uh, or the question of true wisdom. Where do we find wisdom? How do we find wisdom? Um, This is almost like um, when you get to that point in a movie where you you get a certain part of the narrative or you get up to a certain part of the story, and then you have this just one little, like, scene that doesn't really fit with anything else but it just gives you a whole bunch of information that kind of brings enlightenment to the rest of the the scenes the Mm -hmm. rest of the movie i feel like that's what chapter 28 actually is it's this sidebar scene that that just talks about certain things and it's just if you blanket chapter 28 over the rest of the chapters it seems to make those other chapters make so much more sense um because the author is going to talk about and ask questions about where do we find wisdom? How do we get to wisdom? And this chapter is going to be a pivotal chapter that's going to set up the ending uh, that we're going to get to in just a little bit, chapters 38 through 41. But, you know, it's, it's again, it's one of those like, you've heard all of the arguments, you've heard this thing, and then there's this little sidebar about wisdom. And you're kind of like, wow, what's that little sidebar about wisdom there? Mm-hmm. And then you keep moving through the story. So let's let's uh, let's move on to chapter twenty nine. Let's talk about Job's call for vindication. So Job lays out his case mm-hmm. before God and why he believes he's in the right. He has finally said, "You know what? Enough of these bozos who I've been talking to for twenty eight chapters or whatever." He's he he's going to God. And um, chapter twenty nine, he's calling on his past honor. Mm-hmm. So, like, past everything he's done. Um, 
chapter chapter 31 we see two focal points we see his integrity in his marriage and his good deeds toward the marginalized and so he's trying to say like i mean this is almost like checkboxy like mm-hmm. i've done this i've done this i've done this why am i going through all the stuff that i'm going through now yeah yep and that's exactly and, what it seems like i mean it, it almost yeah. seems legalistic yeah and and but how many times have we all been like, hey, I'm doing all the things I should be doing and stuff is terrible? Yeah. Like, so why is that happening? Um, yeah. Like, I think I, I feel like Job is a very relatable book. Yes. Which is why it's one of my favorites. Yeah. Because it is relatable. But it's so. also challenging. Man, it's so challenging. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, there's Job saying, hey, God. So vindicate me. All- Put it all back. <laughs> Put it all back. Vindicate me. Um, and that leads to this guy we talked about at the beginning, Elihu. And Elihu comes in, and Elihu's like, yo, dudes, what's up? I'm the young guy. I'm the smart guy. He comes um, in with his flat bill hat cocked sideways. His, his flat bill hat and his Gen Z lingo. Yes. I'm pretty sure Elihu said no cap, and uh, I, that's like the only Gen Z language I know is no cap. So, uh, bet. The suffering, bet. Is, the suffering is no drip. No drip. And it's sus. And uh, this, anyway, the suffering is sus. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, the suffering is sus should be the tagline of the episode. Anyway. Oh, my oh gosh. gosh. So Elihu comes in and he he really just kind of takes everything that the, the friends have been saying is like, I'm totally one upping you guys. Um, and he's like, Job. This is dumb. This is useless. You appealing all of this stuff is a waste of time. You don't have any innocence before God. And he contrasts Job's what Job's perceived righteousness and the majesty of God to try to mm-hmm. paint a picture that says, you know, look at yourself. You know, you think you're all that in a sack of potato chips, but just look at yourself compared to God. You are useless there's nothing good about you yes you've done some good deeds but guess what even that is useless before god right. because god is holy and righteous and perfect and everything comes from him and so this section this elihu section really sets up the next section which is probably one of my favorite sections in all of scripture because God jumps into the conversation and God's like, all right, all right, all right. It's time to end this once and for all. <laughs> so take us through God's uh, God's response to Job and then Job's response back to God. Yeah, so this is just this, the climax of the story. Uh, God simply calls human wisdom into account, Powerfully demonstrating over and over again from creation, both his origins and his care for it, that wisdom lies with him alone. And basically that he doesn't have to explain himself to Job. And Job doesn't need, shouldn't be asking for God to explain (laughs) himself. And God will do what God wants to do. Um, Basically, basically regardless of, what job does or what job mm-hmm. thinks um and, and and god really i i mean god really puts job in his place yep but also 
what happened to the friends? <laughs> like, I'm really curious because those guys like like Elihu pops in and they're like, okay, God, bye, bye, see ya. And we don't hear from them ever again. I, I can only imagine like Elihu's here and then his section, you know, they're, he's talking all this kind of stuff and the friends are like, are you hearing what he's saying? Yeah, man, let's, let's leave while he's talking because maybe he'll get over. Yeah, let's just, let's go ahead and leave. And they're just, they, they don't know what to yeah. do. They don't know what to say. And then, and then God comes in and like Elihu is out of the picture. Yeah. And, you know, these four chapters, if I could sum up these four chapters with four words, if you're a parent, you're going to, you're going to really appreciate this. Uh, the four words are because I said so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that is the, the four most, I mean, piercing words that you can say as a parent. Why do I need to do this? Because I said so. But why? Because I said so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> does that I work mean, better on your 11-year-old than it does on my 4-year-old? Oh, no, it doesn't work on mine at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wish it did. But Can't wait for that. That's awesome. Okay. But when no, when but God comes in and says, because I said so, yeah. you know, it's like Job's like, okay. <laughs> Job's like, sit, sits back with his tail between his legs like, well, dang, <laughs> I've just spent a a lot of time complaining about a lot of stuff yeah <laughs> for no reason and it, and it's done me no good yeah i think gosh it may be really hard and it may be really i don't know if it's brash i don't know if it's controversial for me to say this but when something happens to you Trusting that it's for the best, for your good, for God's glory, and it's happening to you because God said so. Mm -hmm. Like that might be the best thing to do. It's exactly what what it is. Instead of like wallowing in your self pity or wallowing in like, man, can you believe all the stuff I'm going through? Trying to have a pity party or letting your friends like shoot you down and make you mm -hmm. make try to make it to where it's something you did is like everything we everything that happens happens because God allows it to happen. Yes. And so if we looked through at our lives through that lens, like how how much weight does that take off of us to perform in order to not let the stuff happen to yeah. us? Well, I don't know. I 100% agree with you. And I think that mindset right there is what sets you up as a believer in Jesus. It sets you up for the proper way to lament. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I'm trying to think back to our lamentations. It seems like it was so long ago. I don't even know what episodes it was, but go back and search through our history and find uh, where we walked through the book of lamentations and the book, um, dark clouds, deep mercy. Um, by Mark Vrogop. Listen to those because I, I'm pretty sure I referenced Job almost on a weekly basis uh, as we were going through that because Job sets the stage for how a believer in Jesus can properly lament. It's okay to complain. It's okay to voice your concerns and your frustrations and your, you know, bad attitudes, all of that to God. It's okay to do that kind of stuff. But when God responds with, because I said so, it's that's the turning point where you have to trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's the point where you have to say, you're right, God. 
this is this is for my good somehow, and I'm going to choose a way to see it and find it, and I'm going to learn something, and I'm going to learn more about you, and in the end, everything that you brought in my path, everything that you caused to happen in my life is for your good, for my good, and for your glory. For reference, Lamentations, our Lamentations study was episodes 101 through 105. There you go. I say it's not very long. 106, we kind of wrapped up. So, yeah. And so, I mean, anyway, yeah, there, but it really, it, when you get to a place in your life where you can properly lament, I think it changes your perspective on a lot of things because number one, you're not afraid to complain to certain things about God, which, you know, let's be honest. A lot of times when we complain about things, we feel better just by just saying it and getting it off our chest. Yeah. And, and in the end, once we've said it, it's over and then we can move on. So yeah, like God wants to hear what you're feeling in your heart already. Like Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll go ahead and say this for, so I'm in a men's group at the church I'm a part of, and it's pretty intense. And we've had discussions where, like, if you're in your one-on-one time with God, being just open about what you're feeling and just Mm -hmm. saying exactly what you're feeling, even if those words you would not say in front of other people, Mm -hmm. like, if God knows, if you, God knows how you're feeling about a situation. So sometimes the right thing to say to God is exactly how you're feeling about that situation. Oh yeah. So like what the <laughs> fill in the blank with whatever colorful word you want to fill in there. <laughs> like but God knows how you're feeling about that. Yeah. And sometimes that's the that's the thing you need to say. Like I would never say those words here, but in my personal one-on-one time with God, <laughs> there's like there's no stone left unturned. Yeah. I don't know if you feel that same way. Oh man, absolutely. And you know, there there's times where, you know, I I want to look at you, I don't want to be like, seriously? Seriously right now? Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. But but in the end, and that and that's the thing is when you say that, when you I mean, when you just lay yourself bare before God, something about that opens the door something about that opens your heart your mind and it just and it, and it lets god come in and do the work that he's going to do anyway yeah um so so why not you know why not be honest about it yeah you know if if you need to say whiskey tango fox trot say whiskey tango fox trot <laughs> that's fine you know that's amazing <laughs> but i would not lead like a group Prayer no. with that <laughs> at your Sunday morning, dear God, church meeting, <laughs> whiskey tango. <fight. laughs> what <in the> world? <laughs> could you imagine how that but, men's group would go if that's but, the way you open prayer? But you're so, but you're so right. Like when you lay it all out there before God, mm-hmm. like even if nothing changes about the circumstance, even if nothing changes about the situation, you feel a weight lifted off your shoulders because yes. you're not carrying that anymore. That's right. You're not. You're not like. I can't talk to God about this because I feel really like I'm really frustrated or really upset or really mad or whatever. It's it's like there's this verse in the Gospels where it says, cast all your burdens on me. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You get out of here with your exegesis <laughs> and such. You get out of here with your application of scripture cast, to all cast, aspects of life. Cast only some burdens on me. No, that's not cast, what it says, cast only, idiot. Cast only the burdens on which I can't cuss about. <laughs> on him so we're going to wrap up job the last uh, few like 10 verses of job 42 after god has shut job down completely um god pronounces judgment over him but also vindicates him by restoring him to a double portion of everything he lost yeah um i think it's interesting and i don't know if this is like a good place to put this comment but i'm going to put it anyway the only thing Job didn't lose was his wife. Mm -hmm. So was that a blessing for Job or? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> just, just curious on that. It's uh, like all hate uh, mail, female hate mail can be sent to uh, all, all of all of Job's kids, all of his servants, all of his crops, all of his everything. And then Satan looked over at, at Job's wife and was like. Nah, nah, he's good. <laughs> just I'm just asking the hard questions. So um but but we go back to Job's statement in chapter one. And Anthony, when we did our lamentation study, I remember you saying this. If you didn't say it every week, it was just about, but it was mm -hmm. it's the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah. And I think that's a great place for us to land this because mm -hmm. the lord will the lord will give and bless and the lord will take it away and the lord will do what he wills when he wills how he wills our only response to all of that should be blessed be the name of the lord it's exactly right so yes and the story of job the lesson of job sets up for us this idea of the innocent sufferer and and i would be remiss if if i didn't talk about how this book ties to the person and work of jesus christ and so you know we have this this archetype this this picture of the innocent sufferer and the only thing that i can say is Job sets up the ultimate innocent sufferer who comes and lives the life that we were supposed to live, but dies the death that we deserved. He is truly the greatest innocent sufferer. And, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And that is the foundation for our belief. That's the foundation for how we can have hope. That's the foundation for how we can even try to maintain and and listen michael and i have have said a lot of like pointed things tonight of of ways that we feel like christians need to live and think better don't even interpret any of this as we've got it all figured out and we know how to do it because we don't no not the majority e of this is me not, preaching it myself <laughs> not even close well, most of the time yeah and so just because i can think it in my head doesn't always mean that I can live it in my heart. Right. And and I it's a daily struggle for me every single day to do the things that I talk about. It's easy to talk about them. It's really hard to live them. Yeah. And, and and that conviction comes every day. Yeah. And I will second that statement. It is a like Anthony said, daily 
hourly, minute by minute struggle mm. to cast myself to the side and say, God, whatever your will is for me, let it be done. Yeah. Yep. It's and hard. I I would love to think that if something like this happened to me, I would have Job's re- response. It would be very, very difficult. Yeah. I don't know that if if my kids died in my house and it burned down, I don't know that I could say, blessed be the name of the Lord. That, uh, you know, just, be, right. just being honest, I don't know that I could say that right now. Right. No, I, I don't. I don't know who who could. Yeah, it, it reminds me. I may I may have talked about this before, but it reminds me of the story of Horatio Spatford, mm-hmm. um, who wrote yep. the the hymn "It Is Well." Yeah, you know, and and his his wife and his daughter went on a boat before him. Well, that boat ended up sinking. Wife and kids, daughter or kids, I can't remember if it's one or two kids, but they died on the on the sunken ship and he was going to follow him later and and he gets to the point where they were, he's basically taking the same path. Yeah. And you know, when he gets to the spot where the other ship went down, he basically pins, uh, the concept or, or the song it as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and man, if, if, if you want a song, just reading the lyrics that will make you think, go read the lyrics to it as well, because, it is it is a song that has broken me many times in the past and it will probably continue to break me many times going forward yeah um and so but it's you know in the in the face of tragedy in the face of suffering and in the face of all adversity he can he can say it is well it is well with my soul just completely blows my mind um because i don't know that i again i don't know that i have it in me to say that yeah. So, man, Book of Job is so good. It is. It's challenging. It's convicting. So good. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Well, Anthony, would you like to pray for us tonight? I would love to pray for us tonight. Let's do it. God, we thank you uh, for the opportunity that you have given us to come and to talk openly and freely and um to sit down and just uh enjoy each other's company and enjoy good beer uh and and some good bible discussion god i pray that our conversation tonight has been fruitful um i pray that it has been uplifting to to you and to your to your name i pray this has been encouraging for believers uh, a lot of times it's hard for us to think this way um but god i pray that it's been encouraging for believers to focus their energies and God for the two of us I pray that we would focus uh, our energies towards you and and we would focus our minds towards you and and set our eyes towards you because you are the author and the perfecter of our faith you're the ultimate one who came and suffered for us the innocent sufferer and God I pray that we would recognize that and we would realize our desperate need for a savior and that you provided that way through Jesus Christ. And so, God, we thank you for tonight, and we thank you for the book of Job and what it teaches us about how we can better live to glorify you and honor you with our daily lives. 
And so I pray that we would not just read the words, not just see the words, but God, I pray that we would meditate and we would absorb these words and we would apply them to our lives and we would become better examples to the lost and dying world that is around us, that we can say, even in the midst of your suffering, there is hope. And that hope comes from the person of Jesus Christ, God, that we can be that shining light. No matter what we're going through or what we're suffering through, God, that we can continually give you glory and honor because you are good. And so, God, we praise you and we thank you for this time uh, and this discussion. And we give it to you and we ask you to bless it. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. And amen. Well, Michael, if they want to reach us on social media platforms, where would they do those things? You can find the Beers and Bible podcast on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore. You can find us on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can find us on Facebook by searching. Jeez, just dropped something. You can find us on Facebook by searching uh, Beers and Bible podcast. And uh, sorry, I'm distracted now because I dropped something. Um, You can email us. Yes, you can email us at Beers and Bible podcast at gmail.com. And if you have any uh, questions about anything we've discussed or any beers you'd like for us to review on the podcast, we would love to hear those and potentially discuss any questions you have on the podcast or review a beer. That's right. And uh, we do any of that. We uh, will give you a shout out or something. That's right. Well, until next week, we hope that your beer stays cold and your Bible stays open, and we will see you later. Peace out.